Amen. All right, well, we're there in Leviticus chapter number 19, and we've been making our way through the book of Leviticus on Wednesday nights, taking one chapter a week. Uh, Usually when I preach through other books of the Bible, I don't make a rule that we have to go through one chapter a week, but uh, for books like Leviticus, uh, Isaiah, I do do that. And uh, this is one chapter where I wish I, I wouldn't have done that, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, there's a lot of great stuff in Leviticus 19. And Leviticus 19 has actually been referred to as the Sermon of the, on the Mount of the Old Testament. If you remember in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, you have that famous Sermon on the Mount by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that chapter, Jesus gives a lot of details about living the Christian life and living the holy life. And that's kind of what Leviticus 19 is in, in the Old Testament. If you notice in verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now keep your place here in Leviticus 19. That's our, our, our chapter, our text for tonight. But go with me to the New Testament book of First Peter, First Peter chapter 2, and uh, look at verse 9. If you start at the end of your Bible, at the book of Revelation, and you head back, you're going to go past the book of Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter. And then you've got, yeah, so Jude, 3rd, uh, 2nd, 1st John, 2nd, 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 2. And do me a favor, when you get to 1st uh, to, to Peter 2, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in 1st Peter, and we're going to come back to it. Uh, we're going to come back to, to that area here in a little bit. But uh, I read for you out of Leviticus 19 where he says, Ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he spends the rest of this chapter basically explaining to them how to live a holy, separated life and what he expects by them. Kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is teaching about the Christian life. And I want you to understand that this idea of holiness, because Leviticus was written to to Old Testament Israel. And obviously there's been a change in the priesthood, there's been a change from the Old Testament to the New Testament, but there's many things that carry over from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Some don't, we're going to look at that here in a little bit, but I want you to notice that the idea of God's people being holy is something that is found throughout the entire Bible. This applies to both Old Testament believers, New Testament believers. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. Notice, a different priesthood from that of the Levitical priesthood. Uh, and, and we'll see that here in a second. He says, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past, notice what he says, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had, had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that verse is telling us that in the New Testament, there's a new people of God. In the Old Testament, it was the a nation of Israel, but because they rejected Christ, they basically were rejected of Christ. And now there is a new people that was not a people, but now are the people of God. And of course, it's talking about the Gentiles being brought in and and them being the people of God. But I want you to notice that even when he's talking to the Gentiles in the New Testament, he's telling them, you're a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation. And I just real quickly want to just point out three things in this passage about what it means to be holy, because it's interesting, because these three things are basically covered in the book of Leviticus. Notice in verse 9, where he says, uh, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. And you say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a peculiar people? What does it mean to be a holy nation? What does it mean to be a, 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 a chosen generation? Notice what he says, that ye should, notice, show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So he says, look, when you got saved, you were called out of darkness into the light into the into the light of God, and then but he says this: we are to show forth the praises of Him. Our lives ought to be a a testimony and an example of showing the fact that we love God, that we praise God. Notice verse eleven, dearly beloved, I beseech you. As notice what he says: strangers and pilgrims, be careful about getting too attached to this world. The Bible says we're just strangers here. We're just pilgrims here. You know, I, I don't think we, I need, we need to make it a course of the week, but when I was growing up, we used to sing that song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. 
And you know, that's the truth. This world isn't our home. You know, people get too caught up in the things of this world and the affairs of this world. But you know what? We are strangers and pilgrims. And then he tells us this. Here's point number two that we see from this passage, how to be a holy nation. Not only should we show forth the praise of him, but then the Bible says we are to abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. So he says, here's how you become a peculiar people. You show forth the praises. Your life is a testimony. Your life, people see your life, and here's what they should see. They should see that your life praises God, that your life is pleasing to God. And then he says, we abstain from fleshly lust. We, we don't give in to the lust of the flesh. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at verse 12. Notice verse 12. And then here's point number three, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he says, here's how you you say, how do you live as a holy nation? Well, we're going to see it in Leviticus 19, but here in, in the New Testament, he said, here's how you do it. You show forth praises to God, you abstain from fleshly lust, and you have a conversation. The word conversation means a lifestyle honest among the Gentiles. You ought to be the most honest person at work. You ought to be the most honest person in your neighborhood. You ought to live your life in a way where you're honest among the Gentiles that even though they're going to speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God. And that's, that's what he tells us in, in, the, in the New Testament. And here's what's interesting. We're going to see that covered in Leviticus 19. So go back to Leviticus 19. We see the beginning there where he's talking about living a holy life, he said, you shall be holy, for I, am, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Notice verse 3. In verse 3, he begins, and, and it's, we're going to try to just go through this quickly, because there's a lot, of just, a lot of things that he covers in this chapter. The first thing he talks about is, is uh, parenting. He says, you shall fear every man, his mother, and his father. Now, what's interesting here is that he, he says, you shall fear, he's talking to the children, he says, ye shall fear every man, his mother, and his father. And he's teaching here, and please understand, you know, listen to what I'm about to say, because it, it might be easy for you to kind of take it out of context and, and say that I'm saying something different. But there needs to be an element of fear in parenting. When you are the parent, your children, there should be an element of fear that they have for mom and for dad. Now, I know today in America, people say, like, that's terrible. You know, you shouldn't parent in that way. But let me explain to you what the Bible teaches about that, all right? Did you keep your place in First Peter chapter 2? If you kept your place there, then go back to First Peter. But I don't want you in First Peter. I want you in Hebrews. But if you go backwards from First Peter, you're going to go past the book of James into the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 12. And look at verse number 28 to start off with. And do me a favor, when you get to Hebrews, put your ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to Hebrews. The first thing I want you to notice is that in the Bible, there is a connection between reverence, which the word reverence means a deep respect. It means to honor, which doesn't the Bible say to honor thy father and thy mother? And, but the word reverence is often connected to this idea of fear. And you may think like, well, that's terrible, that children would fear their parents. But notice Hebrews 12 and verse 28. The Bible says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, notice what he says, whereby we may serve God acceptably, notice what it says, with reverence and, notice these words, godly fear. See, there is a such thing as godly fear. There's a such thing as fear that's good for you. That's godly, and it's connected, notice, to reverence. With reverence and godly fear. Now, you're there in Hebrews 12. Go back up to verse number 9. Notice how this applies to parenthood. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh. He's talking about our fleshly parents, your, your, your physical mom and dad. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. And we gave them what? We gave them reverence. Now, what is reverence connected to? It's connected to godly fear. We saw that in verse 28. And we gave them reverence. We gave them respect. We gave them honor. Why? Why did we give them reverence? Why did we fear them? Why did we honor them? Because they corrected us. 
and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chastened us. Notice what the Bible says. After their own pleasure. Isn't that true? I mean, isn't the Bible just a deep book? Look, you don't need psychology. You don't need psychology books. You want to get into the mind of, of, of mankind and humans, just read the Bible. Because you know this is true. We are supposed to correct our children because we want to train them and prepare them for adulthood. And I hope that's what we're all doing. But you know that a lot of times we correct our children. Why? For our own pleasure. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, because they're annoying you. Because they're bothering you. Because they're getting on your nerves. And you just, and you say, is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. Because if they're getting on your nerves, they're probably doing something wrong. But here's what he's saying. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, here's what he's saying. When God chastens us as our father, he never does it because he's annoyed by us. He does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. But here's what he's saying. In the same way that we learned to reverence our parents that same uh, reverence will be carried over to other authority figures and eventually it'll be carried over to God. See, I want my children, I want my sons and my daughters to be afraid, to be fearful and reverent. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Obviously, there's all sorts of scriptures that talk about loving your parents and I'm sorry, loving your children as a parent and having all sorts of good relationship with your children. We understand that. But there has to be an element where my children are afraid of the chastisement that comes from mom and dad. And listen, that has to be there because my goal as a parent is that right now, when my children are nine years old and seven years old and however much, whatever their ages are, there's too many of them to remember, five years old and three years old and one year old or close to it or whatever. Is that, did I hit five? That's five, right? So here's the thing. The goal right now is for them to obey because they fear and reverence dad. But you know what? My goal is to one day transfer that where they obey because they fear and reverence God. You understand that? And listen to me. Every time you meet an adult that is rude, every time you meet a 30-year-old that's a punk, that's just disrespectful to his boss, disrespectful to his pastor, disrespectful to just authorities in their life. Just mark it down. You're looking at an adult that did not have a mom and dad that instilled any fear in them. They were never corrected. They were never chastised. They weren't afraid. And look, in your life as a parent, you have to look. The five-year-old that's slapping their mom in the face at the grocery store, there's a major problem there. They're just not afraid of mom. They're not scared of mom. Look, if I would have ever slapped my mom, which I never did, but if, I would have, if a demon would have came into me and I would have slapped my mom... I mean, good night, I would have been on the next train out of town. I mean, the fear that would have overcame me, you know, forget my dad, just from my mom, you know what I mean? So look, we need to get back to parenting where there's an element of fear, where they're actually afraid to cross you, afraid to be disrespectful to you, afraid... Because that's what the Bible says. It says that children should fear their parents. And of course, you must love them. You must develop a relationship with them. Look, as they, as they get older, you, you have to keep this in mind. Right now, right now, the goal is for them to fear. But at the same time, as we are disciplining them and preparing them for adulthood, adulthood, we don't want to injure the idea that one day when my kids are grown and out of the house, when I have no longer authority over them and I'm not chastising them or punishing them anymore, I want them to be my friend. So you, you, gotta, you can't hurt that relationship, but you must be their authority at the same time. And, you, and, and realize this, that you're going to spend more time with your child being your friend than your child being your child. But you say, well, how do I make sure that they're my friend when they're older? Discipline them right. Make sure they're afraid of you as when they're children, and that respect will continue on. Go back to Leviticus 19. And of course, the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And there's a, that's the first commandment with promise. There's a promise connected to honoring your parents. So you need to learn to teach your children to honor your parents. Look at Leviticus 19, verse 3. 
He says, you shall fear every man his father, his mother and his father. And then he says this, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Skip down just real quickly to verse 30. We're going to go verse by verse through this, and we might not make it through the whole chapter because there's a lot here. But skip down to verse 30 just real quickly. Notice what the Bible says. Ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Now, here's what you need to understand. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, all of everything that's in the Old Testament applies in the New Testament unless it's been specifically repealed in the New Testament. Today you have people, go back to the book of Hebrews, today you have people who will try to say, nothing in the Old Testament applies unless it's specifically mentioned in the New Testament, but that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. God expects you to continue on the teachings of the Old Testament, but you have to understand that there is a change. There's a difference between the Old and the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12, notice what the Bible says. You were just in Hebrews 12, so go back to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12. Hebrews 7, 12. Hebrews 7, 12. And, and let me just help you parents out. Because, you, you know, you think, let me go back to the parenting thing for a second. Because you think, well, how do I get my parents, to, my, my children to fear me? Okay? Look, when they slap you in the face or when they tell you they hate you or when they're throwing that fit in the grocery store in front of everybody and it's embarrassing you, you say, how do I get them to stop that? Look, I, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to talk down to you. I'm just trying, I'm trying to help you out. The consequences for that have to hurt more than the fun they're having doing it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Your slap back, and I'm not, I don't think anybody should ever slap a child in the face or anything like that. You know, I, I think people should spank their children on, on their bottom or you know, on, on a place in their body where there's meat there, you know, their thigh or whatever. But here's what I'm saying. Your slap back has to hurt worse than their slap to you. You understand what I'm saying? Their, their fun that they're having, being all rebellious, there, there has to be enough of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a motivation to not do that. When they want to scream and yell, there has to be enough, there has to be something big enough for them to be afraid of to say, I'd really like to slap mom in the face right now, you know, because I'm at the grocery store and I think I can get away with it, but I know that when I get home, I will regret it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And look, if you don't teach it to your children, you know who's going to teach it to your children? The cops are. Because you know who's not going to, you know, withhold correction? The police officer. When he's beating them down for being a drug addict or whatever, you know, for breaking into somebody's house. You need to train your children to realize that there are consequences for their actions. That they can't just walk into work, walk into church, you know, do whatever, be mouthy, and, and think that nothing's going to happen to them. Go back to Leviticus 19. I'm just trying to help you as parents, okay? I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or anything. I'm sorry, Hebrews 7. That's where I wanted you. Hebrews 7, verse 12. Hebrews 7, verse 12. For the priesthood, I just want you to see this verse. For the priesthood, notice what it says, being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. So I want you to notice, the Bible teaches that there is a change to the law. You say, well, how do we know what has been changed? Well, throughout the New Testament, God specifically tells us the things that have been changed. You don't have to turn here, but let me just read one verse for you to give you an example. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no man therefore judge you in meats or in drinks or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of a Sabbath day. All right, so that's one example of a list where God tells you these are things that no one should be judging you over anymore. Meat. So, because in the Old Testament, there was restrictions on the food that they were allowed to eat, or drinks, you know, talking about the drink offerings from the Levitical law, or in respect of a holy day, you know, whether you keep certain holy days, or of the new moons, obviously that was all Levitical, that was all Mosaic, or of the Sabbath days. You know, today we don't keep the Sabbath anymore, as New Testament believers. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. If God specifically repealed it, then we don't follow it. We can still learn from the principles. We don't follow it. Everything else still applies. You're still not supposed to marry your aunt or whatever, okay? Go back to Leviticus 19. Leviticus chapter 19. So here we're told, I just want to make that clear because he says, for example, people try to say like, well, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. Okay, but children should still fear their parents. It's in the same verse. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. Okay, God specifically repealed the Sabbath thing, but he never repealed the, 
Children, you know, fearing their mother and father. Do you understand that? The Bible says this, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And here's what it says, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you got to be careful about just, oh, nothing in the Old Testament applies. Leviticus doesn't apply. No, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to study the Bible to show ourselves to prove. We need to figure out what specifically did God say no longer applies today. And then what else? And let me just give you a hint. Everything that doesn't apply has to do with the shadows and foreshadowings. It's pictures. It's, it's things that were meant to be a picture of better things to come. All the moral laws, all the sin laws, all those things still apply today. Go back to Leviticus 19, verse 4. Notice what it says. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make yourself molten gods, for I am the Lord your God. That still applies today. God, Look, God doesn't want you to have a crucifix. God doesn't want you to have an idol. God doesn't want those things. I don't understand how Christians today think it's okay to have these idols, and they call it religious. All throughout the Bible, God is telling you not to have idols. Verse 5, and if you offer sacrifice or peace offering unto the Lord, you shall offer it at your own will. It shall be eaten the same day ye offer it, and on the morrow, and if aught remain until the third day, it shall be burnt in fire. We actually dealt with these verses back when we were dealing with the burnt offering, so I'm not going to spend time on it. it uh, and if it be beat, uh, eaten at all on the third day, it is abominable, it shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone that eateth it shall bear his iniquity, because he hath profaned the hollow thing of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off among uh, his people. Look at verse 9. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly, meaning not completely, reap the corners of the field. Brother Stucky mentioned this in his sermon on, on Sunday night. He was stealing my thunder because he knew I was going to be in Leviticus. I'm just kidding. Um, he actually told me about that. I told him it was fine. But this, the Bible here, what I want you to understand, and if you don't mind writing your Bible, just next to Leviticus 19.9, you should write these words. God's welfare system. Because, you know, God is giving these laws to a nation. And you know what God never set up in his nation? He never set up food stamps. Amen. He never set up, you know, government housing. He never set up Section 8. He never set up, you know, we're just going to give you money for not doing anything. But he did want to take care of people who were poor, you know, for legitimate reasons. Like Ruth, she was a widow. Her husband who provided for her died, you know, or people that had disabilities that were not able to work or whatever it might be. So here's what he told them to do. Notice verse 9. And when you reap the harvest of your land. So he says, you have this property that you bring in a harvest for. He says, thou shalt not wholly or completely reap the corners of the field. Here's what he's saying. You've got this square property. He said, I want you to reap kind of in a circular fashion. He says, I want you to kind of leave the corners alone. Don't go into the corners and reap everything. Then he says this, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. You say, what, what, is, what does that mean? What's the word gleanings mean? The word gleaning means to gather what is left. Notice verse 10. And thou shalt not glean, again, thou, he says, I don't want you to gather what's left. Um, notice what he says. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. Here's what he's saying. When you harvest when you go into your vineyard, when you go in to, to take the harvest, you're going to grab the majority of it. But he said, obviously, you're going to leave some of it behind. I mean, if you've got workers out there picking, they're not going to gather everything. Even today, if you have machinery, machinery out there gathering everything, you're not going to get everything. Here's what he says. Once you brought in the harvest, don't go back out there and just grab everything that you missed. He said, leave, leave the corners and leave anything you missed for the poor for the widows, for the fatherless, so that like Ruth, they could come in to the land and they could pick that and they could live off of that. And in the Bible and other places, and, and we won't turn there, but in Deuteronomy, go, go to Second Thessalonians. If you kept your place in Hebrews and you go backwards, you're going to go past Philemon, Titus, Second and First Timothy into Second Thessalonians. There was other laws where you could go into somebody's farm, basically, and anything that you could grab with your hands, you were allowed to eat. But you were not allowed to bring in tools to reap their harvest, you know. And all of that was done to help the poor. All of that was done so that a poor person walking by your field, you know, walking by your trees, and you've got fruit there, they could grab it and eat it. 
That was totally legal for them to do that. It was right for them to do that. They just weren't allowed to bring in tools and, you know, take all of your fruit. But anything they could grab their hands, that's why Jesus, because Jesus was poor. You know, when you, pre- when you preach like Christ, you're not going to be, you know, Jesus was just not this, you know, TV preacher making millions of dollars, driving around in a Bentley, all right? He was poor, so remember what he did when he was walking through the, the cornfields? They were plucking corn and eating it. Why? Because that's, that's what God said people were allowed to do when they were poor. They were allowed to do those things. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3. Here's what I want you to say. In, in God's welfare system, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, when you've done your harvest, go get the government workers and have them bring in, have them come in and pick up all the leftovers and have them go deliver it to all the poor people. That's not what he said. He said, you leave it there, and when they get hungry enough, they can get up and walk over and pick it up for themselves. Even in his welfare system, there was still some initiative that had to be taken. And obviously, if people were disabled to the place where they could not do that, then of course the Bible teaches that they sat at public places and asked for alms, and God even commanded that alms be given to them. So God obviously took care of poor people and Needy people, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 10. Today, our welfare system is not helping people, it's hurting them. It's not helping them, it's hindering them. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says this, For even when we were with you, and I know Brother Suggy talked about this on Sunday night, but let's just look at it real quickly. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, this we commanded you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. You know, today you got people rocking around. You got young guys, I mean, guys in their 30s, walking around for like a year and a half, just not working. And you know what they end up doing? Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, walking not at all, working not at all, but are busybodies. You know, and, and listen to me. I wonder if we just instituted Second Thessalonians. Because people want to walk around and talk about, oh, I can't find a job. It's the economy. It's the government. It's funny because, like, everybody else can find work. You know, maybe you just need to take the crumbs, like Brother Suggy was saying. Amen. Right? Maybe you need to just not, you know, maybe. Because the Bible says in all labor there is profit. Maybe God just wants to see you go work somewhere and then he's going to give you a better job. But when you're just sitting around waiting for it to come to you. But here's what I think is interesting. If we instituted this in America... For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he. If we just told a, a young guy, I'm not talking about someone who's disabled, I'm not talking about someone who's retired. Obviously, if you retired, you worked all your life, you know, relax, all right? And we'll get to that here in, in Leviticus, actually, here in a minute. But, you know, I wonder if we just instituted, you're a young, healthy guy, and, and you don't work, and we just said, okay, you don't get to eat till you find a job. I wonder how quickly people would find work around here. They'd go work at In-N-Out, not just hang out at In-N-Out. They'd go get a job at Starbucks, not just hang out at Starbucks. You know what I mean? I mean, if you put as much, if if you just weren't allowed to think, because here's what Jesus said. Uh, Here's what the Bible says, excuse me. If any man would not work, neither should he eat. God says you shouldn't eat if you're lazy, if you're not working. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness. Notice what you, you see that word quietness? Say, why would he say quietness? Because busybodies talk a lot. He says, you know what, just shut your mouth, and with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So I want you to understand. God never instituted, and during the millennial reign of Christ, there will be no, you know, there's not going to be a part of New Jerusalem that's like the, the ghetto, the public housing. No, you say, is there going to be welfare? Here's what there's going to be happening in New Jerusalem. There's going to be fields that people can go and pick up. And by the way, this is why we, we're never going to have, you know, just like, like a soup kitchen, in, at Verity Baptist Church. You say, why? Because the Bible never tells us to go to the homeless and give them food. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. They should go and find it. Amen. They should go to the play. They should go to the field and say, and say I, I can't find work, but I'm willing. Ruth was willing to go and work all day long. And what did God do? He blessed her. He helped her because she was willing to partake of the crumbs. And I'm preaching somebody else's sermon now. Go back to Leviticus 19. Look at verse 11. Leviticus 19, verse 11. Leviticus 19.11 Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. 
And he shall not swear by my name falsely. Neither shalt thou profane the name of the Lord thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. What's the Bible teaching? The Bible's just teaching, be honest. And didn't we see that in 1 Peter? You know, he says to, to, to be honest among the Gentiles. Look, as a Christian, we need to learn to just not deal falsely and lie. Look, I, I know you say it's real basic, but lying is a sin. We shouldn't go around lying to people. We shouldn't go around lying to your boss, lying about things. You know, we should strive to be honest in all our dealings. Look at verse 12. Uh, and, and you shall not swear by, the name, by thy name falsely. Then he says this, Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. The word profane means to make common or to use it in an irreverent way. Exodus 20 and verse 7, you don't have to turn there, but we, we read from there earlier where it says, honor thy father and thy mother. That's part of the Ten Commandments. Here's another part of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The word vain is, is the same idea there as profane, meaning to use it in a common manner. Here's what the Bible is saying. As a Christian, you should not go around. You, you know, you hurt your, you're surprised by something and you say, oh my God. You shouldn't do that. That's taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That's using his name in a profane way. You shouldn't go, you know, just you hurt yourself or, or someone upsets you and you just say the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you've heard people say that. We shouldn't do that. Look, and I, I don't even like the euphemisms. I don't even like saying, oh my gosh, or geez. You know, just as Christians, we should have respect for the name of God. The Bible says that the name of Jesus is the name above every other name. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, he made, he, he, he made it the name above every other name. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We shouldn't be using that name in a profane way, just commonly, just throwing it out there uh, for no reason, just in a vain way. We should, when you say, when you use the name of God, you should be either speaking to God or speaking about God. We shouldn't just be using it as a curse word or as, you know, some excitement or whatever. Look, look at verse 13. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him, as he says, the wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying you shouldn't withhold payment from people. If you owe someone money, you know, if they did work for you, you should pay them if you have it with you. You know, if you, obviously if you made a deal with them, you know, at, at Verity Baptist Church, we, we have, I'm, I'm a full-time staff, we have two full-time staff people here. You know, we pay, the, we pay them once a month. That's how we do it here. Um, you know, I know some of you, people like, you know, to get paid every week. We just do it once a month. I expect them to budget and to just be responsible enough to, you know, make sure they've got money till the end of the month or whatever. And, and, and I get paid once a month, you know. But here's the thing. Honestly, if one of these guys, because I've heard people say this. Um, I've heard pastors teach this, and I agree. If one of these guys was in a financial bind and they needed some money, you know, and it was like, let's say it was the 15th, we would pay them, you know, if they needed it, we would just, they worked up to the 15th, we'd pay them up to that amount. Because the Bible says, you know, the wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee. And of course, Brother Oliver and Brother Sugar are going to come and talk with me or something after the service. But, um, you know, it's just the Bible is saying that you should pay, don't withhold payment from people. Obviously, if you make a deal and they're okay with it, that's fine. Um, we actually saw that in Proverbs on Sunday, where it says, say not unto thy neighbor, go and come again, and tomorrow I will give thee when thou hast it by thee. So, you know, we, you just try to pay people, you know. So we, sometimes my niece will babysit for us, for my wife and I, if we have something to do or whatever. And sometimes I forget to go get the money for her. And I'll be like, oh, I'll just give it to her on Sunday. And my wife's like, no, we must pay her, you know, because she worked, you know. So we stop at the bank and get the money. Uh, so anyway, Leviticus 19, look at verse 14. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, okay. Now look, I mean, is there anything worse? Someone's deaf and you're going to curse them? They can't hear you curse them, so you're going to curse them. Nor put a stumbling block before the blind. They can't see, so you're going to put somewhere in front of them. You know, but shall fear thy God, I am the Lord. You say, why, why did God put that in here? I mean, I don't know. People are obviously doing this, okay? So he's dealing with it. But, you know, we shouldn't mistreat disabled people. We should love people that are disabled and try to help them. Look at verse 15. And, by, and you say, well, why would you ever, why, why, would you, why would you need to say that? You know, this would have been a good verse for Hitler, who thought it was okay to just kill people because they were disabled. You know, thou shalt not curse the deaf. 
nor put it. So don't think like, oh, that's silly that it's in the Bible. No, there's stupid, there's stupid people out there that need to learn these things. That you're supposed to be kind to people and love people. And just because they have some sort of disability doesn't mean you should curse them because they're deaf or put a stumbling block before them because they're blind. So you might think like that's not needed, but you know what Hitler needed and all sorts of other idiots out there need it. So there you go. Look at verse 15. You shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor. Whenever I, I read this verse, I think of American politics because he says he's talking about you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. He says, thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor. I, in my Bible, next to that to the poor, I, I have an arrow, and I wrote the word Democrats. Because isn't that the Democrats? They're always wanting, they, they're like, we're, we're for the poor people. You know, let's give money to the poor. Let's give them all this welfare. Let's give them all these tax breaks. You know, so he says, thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. And then so you know what I wrote next to Mighty? The Republicans. Because what are they trying to do? Give tax breaks to the rich, right? They're all about the rich people. And here's what God is saying. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't classify people, or you're, I'm for the poor, I'm for the rich. You know, he says, just do, do, don't do unrighteousness in judgment. Just treat everybody. He says, don't be a respecter of persons. But in righteousness shall thou judge thy neighbor. And here's what he's saying. When it comes to judging, and, and by the way, this is a New Testament as well. In the, in, the, in, in the book of James, the Bible tells us that we should not have more respect for people that have money in the church house than those that don't. We should love everybody the same. We should respect people, everyone equally, and not be a respecter of persons where, oh, I like this person because of this or because of that. The Bible says we shouldn't do those things. Look at verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Now, I don't know if I asked you to keep your place there when you were in 2 Thessalonians, but if you kept your place, just go to 1 Timothy just real quickly. From 2 Thessalonians, if you just flip one book forward, uh, you'll have Second Timothy, and then I'm sorry. You'll have uh, what one book? Not forward. Is that forward? I don't even. I don't know. First, Second Thessalonians, First, Second Timothy. There, First Timothy chapter five, look at verse twelve. Not not backwards. Yeah, it is forward. Forward. I gave you guys so many instructions with these things, I confused myself. First Timothy five, look at verse twelve. You're in Second Thessalonians. The next book is First Timothy. First Timothy five twelve. Having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. And with all, he's talking about young women that are widows. He's saying they should get married. And with all, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. That's, that word tattlers is the same idea as Leviticus 19, uh, 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer. Here he's saying... I don't want you wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but tattlers. Here's what he's saying. Don't be a gossip where you're just constantly talking about everybody's business. Look, you should live your life in a way where you work every day, especially, you know, the ladies that are homeschooling and, you know, you work harder than probably anybody around. You don't get your 15 minute break. You don't get your one hour lunch, you know, but look, he's saying, make sure you're working at home and you're not just busy gossiping, tattling. And today it's easier to do it because we have things like Facebook. You know, where people, well, you don't have to physically go to people's houses. You can just be on Facebook wandering about from house to house. And the Bible says that you shouldn't be a talebearer. You shouldn't be the one, you shouldn't be the one that's just, every, everybody knows. If you want to know just what's going on, just go to so-and-so because they, they've got, they're the talebearer. They've got all the tales. They know what's going on. You know, I mean, there's so many things in church that I just don't, I mean, things are happening all the time that we just don't tell people about, that we just don't talk about. I tell our staff, you know, we don't talk about these things, these issues we're dealing with. We don't talk about them unless we have to, you know, unless we have to deal with them publicly. But here's the thing. You need to learn because you're going to learn things or whatever, and you shouldn't be the gossip. You know, you shouldn't be the talebearer. You shouldn't be the, toddler, the, the, the tattler and the busybody. Uh, going around in everybody's business. So we hit busybody for both men and women. Did you catch that? So you can't say that I'm being, you know, mean to the ladies or whatever. Because we already talked about the men being busybodies when they don't work. And look, men, men were made to work. When they don't work, they will become problematic. They will become a problem in life. Leviticus 19. Look, look at verse 17. Leviticus 19 and verse 17. Leviticus 19, verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. That's a command. 
God doesn't want you to hate your brother in your heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Now, that, notice what it says. In any wise, that, he says, thou shalt, so he's telling you to do this, in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. You said, but you just told me to not hate thy brother in, in, in thine heart. And here's what he's saying. If your brother offends you or your brother wrongs you, instead of just hating him in your heart, you should go to him and address that and rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Here's what he's saying. If he's sinning against you, don't allow that to continue because it's just going to cause you to hate him. You said you should go and deal with it. Look at verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. He's saying, if you don't deal with it, you're just going to end up getting mad, hating him in your heart, avenging him, and grudging it. Now, let me say, and, and by the way, this is found in the New Testament, Matthew 18. If your, father, if your brother offends you, you go to him. But please, please listen to me, because, you know, I have a fear of preaching these things, because there's people out there that just take this to a ridiculous extreme. And let me just explain something to you. Be very careful. This should be very, you know... Seldom, because if you if you overuse this, it will get old fast. Where you're just constantly going to people. Seven years ago, you sat in my chair, and I've been holding it against you. That's ridiculous. All right, you know this is talking about a major thing. This is talking about a big deal. Something that you cannot let go. It's just hurting you so bad that you have to deal with it. God says you should deal with it. You should go to your brother lovingly and say, "Hey, you know you wronged me." You did me wrong in this area. The Bible does teach to do that, but, but please understand, because people are just, they, they do the most ridiculous things, and they want to bring up stuff that's just not things that we should be talking about. You know, this is talking about major issues where, where you feel like, if I don't deal with it, I'm going to end up hating this individual. God says, don't do that. He says, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. He says, thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's what he's teaching you say, how do I do that? Well, when they wrong you, sometimes you have to, thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor. But again, please, please, let me caution you. Because I've seen, I've seen this get out of control in churches. I mean, every little thing, women are going to other women and men are going, please don't, don't make me have to get up and, and scream and yell about that, okay, in two weeks. Just don't do it, all right? Do it if it's a big deal. If it's something that you feel like, I can't let it go. And look, if it happened three years ago, then you let it go. All right? Do you understand that? If it happened like 10 years ago, you let it go. I'm talking about something, you know, someone did you wrong. You know, some, you, you, you say, what, what kind of extreme? Here's an extreme. Where like a brother in Christ comes to you and asks you for, you know, can I borrow $500? I'm late on my rent. And you let them borrow it and then they never pay you back. You know, and then you're just holding that in your heart. You should go to them for that. Okay, that's different than you knew I wanted the sprinkled donut. I was reaching for the sprinkled donut and you came in and grabbed the sprinkled donut, you know, six months ago. And I'm still mad about it. You know, that's not those are two different things. Okay, so please just use common sense when it comes to that. Because I don't want to don't waste my time with that. All right. Then I have to go in the office and talk to you and it gets weird. Leviticus 19. Look at verse uh, 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor. Notice, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like it was like something you might have read in the New Testament? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ taught this. In fact, he taught this in one of the most famous passages in the New Testament where he taught about the, the Good Samaritan. And he talked about loving thy neighbor as thyself. And here's what I think is interesting. The liberals, I mean, this is the favorite verse of liberals. I mean, I'm talking about the Joel Osteens, the Andy Stanleys, you know, they just love the, the you know, Francis Chans or whatever. They just love, this is their, I mean, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And here's what's interesting to me. The liberals' favorite passage is found in the liberals' most hated book. Because they hate the book of Leviticus. I mean, all these liberals hate Leviticus. You say, what do they hate about Leviticus? Well, here's what they hate about Leviticus. Flip one page back to chapter 18 and verse 22. I mean, none of these guys are ever going to get up and preach Leviticus 18.22 
Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. And I'm saying no TV preacher. Not, Charles Stanley, whoever. No one's going to get up on, uh, you know, on TV and preach Leviticus 18.22. And no one's going to get up on TV and preach Leviticus 20.13. Look at Leviticus 20.13. If a man also lie with mankind... As he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. That's the verse that got us in all sorts of trouble for preaching. And none of them, they're not going to touch that verse with a 10-foot pole. But here's what's interesting. They'll preach Leviticus 19, 18 all week long. I mean, they'll preach, they'll preach a, uh, a 56-part series on love thy neighbor as thyself. And here's what I think is interesting. I think it's hypocritical that they'll preach love thy neighbor as thyself, but they won't preach thou shalt not lie with mankind uh, as with womankind. They won't preach if a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman. Both of them have committed abomination. They shall surely be put to death. They won't preach that, but they'll preach thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Look, they come from the same book. It's the same God that wrote them. You say, are you going to preach thou shalt love thy neighbor? I'm preaching it right now, okay? Yeah. I just did a whole, you know, people skills series. You Guess what the theme was? Love thy neighbor as self. Esteem others better than, than you esteem yourself. But here's the thing. But we must also preach the other parts. I mean, if in chapter 18... It's against the Sodomites. Chapter 19 is love thy neighbor as thyself. And chapter 20. That's why I think it's funny when the protesters showed up and they're holding signs saying, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I'm like, I preached out of Leviticus. That's found in Leviticus. You don't know what you're talking about. Look, it's the same God that wrote both. So we must preach both and we must believe those and we must love both. And, you know, it's just interesting. I, I think God did that on purpose. You know, he put it in Leviticus. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ quoted it. So none of these guys even know it's in Leviticus because they've never even opened up Leviticus. You know, they've never even read Leviticus. So they don't know it's there. But God is just having all these liberals preach out of Leviticus. And then, you know, just to show, just to show us how stupid they are, I guess. I don't know. Leviticus 19. Look at verse 19. Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. He's saying, I don't want you allowing your cattle to gender, meaning to reproduce with a different kind of animal. And obviously, you know, a dog and a cat are not going to be able to gender together. Or have, but you do have some animals that could do that. You know, you have people, today you'll have people that they'll, they'll gender like, like a horse and a zebra, you know, or something like that. God is saying, and of course, even in farm life, I think you can do like a, a horse and a donkey or something. You get a mule. Um, so, you know, here's he's saying, thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. God is saying, I don't want you to do that. He also says this, thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. He said, I don't want you mingling the seeds in the field. Neither shall a garment, be, uh, garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon it. So he's talking about not mingling the field with, with a mingled seed. He's talking about not having a garment that you mingled linen and woolen. And he's talking about not allowing your cattle to gender with diverse uh, kinds. Go, go, to, go to Ephesians chapter 4, just real quickly, in the New Testament. And we'll, we'll be done in like five minutes, all right? Ephesians chapter 4. And obviously, there's lots of reasons why God would have, you, have them do this. And there's all sorts of reasons. And there's all sorts of symbolism that we could go into. But the one I want to highlight is... One of the symbols that I believe God is teaching us here, and there's multiple symbols, and I don't, I don't have time to go into all of them, but one that I want to highlight is that I believe God is teaching us here that he wants unity. You know, he wants an ox to gender with an ox, and a horse to gender with a horse. And if you're going to plant a seed, he just wants that entire field having the exact same seed. And if you're going to wear a garment, he doesn't want it to be half linen, half woolen. He says, just let it be all linen or let it be all wool or woolen. And he's teaching this idea that he wants unity when you're working. Because all of this has to do with work. You have these animals to work. You have a field to work. You, wear, you have these clothes on so you can go out and do the things you need to do. And, and, and a lot of the work is required even making the clothes. And he's talking about there should be unity. And here's, here's the, the, the New Testament picture for it. Is that within a church, there should be unity. 
Are you there in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 3. Notice the emphasis of unity in Scripture. Ephesians 4 and verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity. Do you see that? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice the unity. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through, uh, and through all and in you all. Let's skip down to verse number 11, just for sake of time. Notice what the Bible says. And, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors. You know the Bible says that God gave you a pastor? Amen. And teachers? You say, well, why? Why did God give a pastor? Why can't we just hang out at In-N-Out? Why can't we just hang out at Starbucks and call that church? Okay? But here's the thing. God gave you a pastor and teachers, notice verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You say, why? Notice verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. See, the Bible says this, can two walk together except they be agreed? And what he's teaching here is that we should be united. You know, there should be unity within the church. And and God gave you a pastor to try to bring everybody in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the statures of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with, notice, Every wind of doctrine. You know what? At Verity Baptist Church, there should be unity when it comes to doctrine. We should be united in that. You say, why? Because there's one body and one spirit and one hope and one Lord and one uh, faith and one baptism. And here's what the Bible is teaching. The pastor is supposed to try to keep unity in the faith in the church. I mean, just this week, I was having a talk with an individual, and they're like, well, I understand why I can't just, you know, go to church and just go to people and tell them that they should believe this and believe that. It's because God wants there to be unity. He doesn't want two seeds in a field. He doesn't want you gendering two diverse kinds. He wants us to just be the same. Here's what he's saying. At Verity Baptist Church, look, there should be unity. And look, that doesn't mean that we all agree 100% on everything. Obviously, we get that. I don't agree with myself 100%, Okay. I mean, there, but on the major issues, look, it's not okay for you to walk around and say, you know, because we were like, well, why can't I just walk around to people? This is what I was told. Why can't I go to someone and say, hey, do you want to learn about, you know, X, Y, and Z? And they're talking about government stuff. And, and it's like, it's not what the church believes, but do you want to learn about it? And, and if they say no, I'll leave them alone. And if they say yes, I'll go to them. And I thought to myself, okay, so is it okay for you to walk around and just say, hey, you want to learn about oneness? I mean, I know the church stands Trinity, but can I teach about oneness? I mean, we can't allow that. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? Amen. You know, hey, I know the church believes eternal security, but can I t- would you like to learn about how you can lose your salvation? Look, we have to be together in doctrine. We have to be together in unity. And that doesn't mean that we all agree on every little thing. Okay? You know, there may be things that you don't agree that we don't see eye to eye. That's fine. But on the major uh, things and here's the thing either way you should just line yourself up with what they, look for years and people act like you're you're taking away our freedom of speech i'm like i thought you were the government people you don't you don't even understand freedom of speech freedom of speech doesn't mean you get to walk into chili's and tell the waiter he's a faggot amen. you know guess what they get to do they get to throw you out That's right, amen. you know freedom of speech doesn't mean you show up on sunday morning and say i'm preaching today <laughs> look freedom of speech means you get to say whatever you want but you don't get to say it wherever you want. You get to say it on your property. But you don't get to say it here. You don't get to go to a theater and cry fire. I mean, do you understand that? Oh, you're, it's our freedom of speech to be able to walk into church and teach doctrines that are not what the church believes? No. Amen. And, 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 if, and if the government teaches you can do that, then the government's wrong. Amen. Because the Bible says that we're supposed to have unity within the church. And that we're not supposed to allow false doctrine to come into the church. And again, that doesn't mean that you can't have your own beliefs, that you can't think your own things and have your own opinions, but you should, you know, be respectful. Here's the point that I was making. For years and years and years, I went to Fellowship Baptist Church in Vacaville, California, and I was not a pre-tribber. I was post-trib, pre-rap. But you know what the church was? They were pre-trib. So you know what I never did? I never talked about how the church was wrong in that matter. I even had people come up to me 
Because I would go and preach at Faithful Word when I was just a church member. And, and it was on YouTube or whatever. I even had people at the church come up to me and say like, hey, you know, I saw you preach at Faithful Word. You know, they're, they're not pre-trib. You're not pre-trib. Can you talk to me about it? You know, I had people come up to me and, I, and people came up to my wife. And every time we said, you know what, that's not what the church believes here. And out of respect for the pastor, I'm not going to talk about that. Amen. Amen. And that's the right thing to do. That's not infringing on it. And you're right. That's how it should be done. And people who just refuse to do that are just disrespectful. That's what they are. Leviticus 19. Look at verse 20. Leviticus 19, verse 20. And whosoever lieth carnally with a woman that is a bondmaid, betrothed to an husband, and not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her, she shall be scourged. That's talking about corporal punishment. They shall not be put to death because... She was not free. So in the Bible, if you commit adultery, you get the death penalty. And even if you're betrothed and commit adultery, you get the death penalty. But in a situation where there's a bond made, who, notice what it says, not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her. If she is a slave that was put into a betrothal situation where she was purchased for the purpose of marrying, and then she's caught lying carnally, uh, then the Bible says she shall be scourged. So notice there's no death penalty because of the fact that it wasn't really her choice. She didn't want to be married in that situation. Um, so just something interesting there. Go, go uh, skip down to verse 26 just because we're, we're out of time. Let me see if I can uh, just do, just real quickly go over a couple things. Verse 26. You shall not eat anything with blood. We already talked about that. Okay, that's your foe, Right? People came up to me after, uh, last, last time I preached about blood, and they were telling me all the, what were the blood things? The foe? Foe? What else was it? Somebody told me, Brother Jeff told me about a soup, a Filipino blood soup. You know, people, what was it? What is The blood sausage, all right? There is people that eat blood stuff out there, and the Bible says not to do it, all right? So you shall not eat anything with blood. Neither shall you use enchantments, nor observe times. You'll find, you'll find, and I won't have you go there, but you'll find that in the Bible there's always a connection between eating blood and, uh, and, and witchcraft. There's all, you always find that connection. Uh, neither shall you use enchant- enchantments, that's witchcraft, nor observe times. That's your horoscopes. Look, Christians shouldn't be doing these things. You know, this is your Harry Potter, all of that. Uh, even verse 31 says, Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. You, look, Christians shouldn't go to palm readers. Christians shouldn't be reading their a horoscope. Christians shouldn't be watching Harry Potter you know, all of that stuff. I mean, I don't That should be common sense, I think. But look at verse 27. Uh, you shall not round the corners of your heads, neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. I, I, I don't know. Don't have weird haircuts or weird facial hair. Okay? Just have normal things. But look at verse 28. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. What is God talking about here? How can we apply this to our day? Today, it's talking about not having tattoos. Look, Christians should not get tattoos. And people will often say like, oh, well, it's, be, it's for the dead. You're not supposed to do it for the dead. But notice what it says. You shall not make any cuttings in the, your flesh for the dead. But that's, that's the cuttings in your flesh. Nor print any marks upon you. That doesn't say for the, for the dead. It just says don't put any marks upon you. You know, and you know, we have people in our church that have tattoos. Obviously, we love you. We're not mad at you. You came here with tattoos, whatever. Okay, we're not, it's, it's a sin. God forgives you. Just move on. Just don't get any more. But look, you young people, if you don't have any tattoos, just realize that God does not want you to put print any marks upon you. Okay, you should not get tattoos. God, your body does not belong to you. It is a body. It is a temple of the Holy Ghost. And your body is not your own. You're bought with a price. So you should not get uh, tattoos uh, because God doesn't want you to get, uh, to get tattoos. And, and look, they're not cool. Just, just realize that. Okay? And if you think they're cool when you're 18, they're not going to be cool when you're 58 or 68 or 78. Just realize that. All right? And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings if you got tattoos. All right? Somebody's getting right with God about their tattoos, I guess. Look, look at verse... 
Look at verse 30, just real quickly. I, I'm, I'm trying to get to one more thing, and then, and then I'll, I'll finish, all right? Look at verse 30. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. We talked about that. Regard not them that have familiar spirits. We talked about that. Look at verse 29. Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore, lest the land fall to whoredom, and the land become full of wickedness. You say, why did God say that? Because people were doing it. And, you know, here's what you can learn from that. A land that is full of whoredoms is a land that is full of wickedness. So, you know... Here he's talking about not prostituting your daughter, but let me just give you something. Right. Don't allow your, your daughter to become a whore. Okay? And people say, I don't think you should say that. That's what the Bible says. That's a Bible word. Because the land will become full of wickedness. Let me give you one more and we'll be done. Verse 32. Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. The word hoary means gray or white. And honor the face of the old man the, uh, the fear, and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Here the Bible is teaching respect for the elder. And the Bible is literally teaching that if a man that has white hair walks up to you to greet you, you know, and you're a young man, you should stand up. Amen. You should stand up. The Bible says, thou shalt rise up before the hoary head. And by the way, you should stand if a lady come. You know, if a lady walks in front of you or in a room. And look, we're losing this in America, but it's not just, you know, chivalry or whatever. It's what the Bible says. You, we need to learn, we need to teach our young people to have respect for elders. And look, you, you young people, you teenagers, you shouldn't be calling adults by their first names. All right? That's disrespectful. You're not on their level. You say, well, how do I know? When, when, when am I an adult? Look, if, if, the, if your age ends in a teen, then guess what you are? A teen. All right? So, you know, you know don't walk up to these. And here at church, you know, we use terms like brother. I mean, I think it's fine for, for someone to say brother so-and-so and use their first name. But I don't, I don't, I just, I always cringe when a teenager is just calling an adult by their first name. You're not on their level, all right? If they're, an, I'm talking about an adult, a grown man, a grown, you know, my wife, it's, it's not Joanne. It's Miss Joanne. And it's funny to me because like older people call her Miss Joanne, but then young people just call her Joanne. And it's like backwards. You know, you, you need to learn to be respectful. And by the way, I'm not Roger. I'm pastor. All right? You say, well, you know what? You're just on a power trip? No, it's just, a, you know, God. Paul said, I magnify mine office. And it's about just magnifying the position. And you say, I don't respect you. Then respect the next guy that's the pastor. But you should call, you know, call these men brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, Miss so-and-so. I'm talking to young people. You should be respectful to your elders. And all of us, you know, need to be mindful that we should rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man. You know, um, we should be respectful to people that, that, um, that, that are older. Okay, I told you I was going to give you one more, but I lied. Let me give you one more. I, and, then, and then we're almost done anyway. So look, look at verse 33. I said I was going to be five minutes, and now I'm like, past that. Leviticus 19. Look at verse 33. Let me just get, get this one real quick. This one, this one's the, my, my favorite. You know, I get accused of not being political, so I'm just going to start being real political, but it's, it's going to be always on the wrong side, you know. I'm not for Hitler, you know, but okay. Leviticus 19.33. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. The word vex means to oppress. Now, please listen to me, because I might offend some of you. And just realize that you have to... You have to Allow your mind to be washed by the word of God. We have to allow God to tell us how to think, not media, not Sean Hannity. All right? Notice what it says. And if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him. You said you're not supposed to oppress him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you. Well, here's what the Bible is saying. If, if there's a stranger, which the word stranger means foreigner, and they're living with you, how are you supposed to treat them? Like an illegal immigrant, they're different than us because they weren't born here. No, the Bible says you should treat them as someone that was born among you. Amen. I mean, is that what the Bible says? And thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You don't have to turn there. Exodus 12, 49. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. The Bible never teaches that you should have two laws. A law for those that were born here and a law for those that were not. No, God says there should be one law. You should treat them the same. You should love them the same. And I know today, you know, it's like no Christian wants to teach that and preach that. But that's what the Bible says. 
And people today, they want to say like, well, you know, we shouldn't give them this. We shouldn't give them that. But here's the thing. We, you know, we shouldn't have a welfare system anyway. Amen. We should have fields that people go and glean the leftovers and then, they, and, and then men starve to death because they're so lazy. You know, or they go get a job somewhere. So, you know, the Bible is teaching here, don't mistreat foreigners. doesn't matter if they're legal or illegal. The Bible says, a stranger sojourn with you in your land. Ye shall not vex him. Don't oppress him. Don't have different laws and different rules for him. He said, treat him as one born among you. And then he says, love him as thyself. And you know what? We should just learn to love people and to not think like, oh, you're just some illegal immigrant. You know, love people. And we should treat them the same. That's what the Bible teaches here. And that's what the Bible is saying. Uh, you shall not, uh, you shall do no unrighteous judgment in meat yard and weight and in measure, just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall ye observe all my statutes and my judgments and do them. I am the Lord. And again, just talking about being honest in your dealings, you know. But, you know, let me just, you just realize this. Like, we get taught a lot of things that are not necessarily in the Bible. You know, and all these Republicans, they want to tell you, like, we need to build a wall, we need to do this, we need to get, you know. That's not what the Bible says. And I'm not just saying that because I'm brown. All right? It's just not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you shouldn't have two laws for two different people. The Bible teaches you to treat people the same. Uh, if they're here, let them. And here's what's hypocritical about the whole thing is that, you know, several hundred years ago, a bunch of Europeans came over here illegally, you know, and the people that were here didn't want them to take their jobs either. You know, but now it's like, oh, well, you know, my forefathers did it, but now you can't do it. It's like, look. Just let people come and work and live and love them and just be with them and don't have separate laws for them and treat them justly. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you just teach us what to think about situations and you tell us what we should believe about it. And Lord, I just pray that you, we would always just submit ourselves to uh, the word of God and to not give ourselves over to worldly thinking. The, obviously, our media and our society is constantly trying to get us to think certain things and to believe certain things. But uh, when we see that the Bible teaches something different, we should just align ourselves to the Bible and realize that God's word is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to just learn your Bible, apply it to our lives as much as possible. In the name of Christ, we pray. 